Hello, and welcome to another episode of Chatter, a podcast from The Gist, with me, Josh Hamilton. Hardeep Mataru, editor at Byline Times, was my guest on today's show. Byline Times are a fairly new investigative reporting-based news outlet that has sprung up to fill the gap of investigative journalism in the modern British press. We got into the concept of investigative journalism, the future of print newspapers, and the fight for a free press. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget, my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order. You'll find the link in the description below. So, here's Hardeep. Uh, so, Hardeep, uh, welcome to the show. Is it is it Ma- Mataru, or is, is that how you pronounce it? Your surname? Yeah, Mataru. Mataru, okay. I mean, I'm aware my accent probably butchers it at the best of times. But um, so, why don't you tell us how you uh, how you started in in journalism, and then and then how you ended up at uh, at Byline Times? Yes. Yeah, so, at, in 2012, I went to journalism school and did a NCTJ diploma, uh, which is a six month course. So, I did that. I'd done a degree in law at university and finished my degree and realized that actually journalism was something I was much more interested in because I was much more interested in exploring society uh, on quite a, in, in quite a general sense, I guess, uh, and talking to people and having a job where you keep learning. So I got into journalism uh, around 2012. I did my uh, diploma at journalism school and then I got a job. My first job was on a local newspaper called the Epsom Guardian, which was based in the South London Guardian series in um, Sutton. And it was a fantastic, it was a really great first job because it's a massive newsroom with uh, lots of reporters covering all sorts of titles across South London. So you got to learn a lot. And yeah, so I spent three years there. I trained, I started as a junior reporter and trained and sort of did some more qualifications and then was chief reporter and an acting editor. Uh, And yeah, and then I left that because as is the case with local journalism, uh, there were all, I mean, there were always redundancies being made, but never at the sort of my level, which was chief reporter, but uh, eventually that did happen. And I made a decision to, I didn't really want to stay. uh, And so it was time to move on anyway. So I then went to the Independent in London and did some online reporting for them. Uh, That was at the same time as the Independence print edition was also closing down. So it was somewhat of a sort of unsettling period. And yeah, and I just decided after I spent about a year there working um, on and off shifts and I decided it was time to go freelance. So I did that for a while. Uh, I started sort of just blogging and writing for websites around criminal justice issues, which I'd always been interested in because of my law degree. Uh, and also it's completely, you know, prisons, prisoners, all this sort of thing is a subject that most of the mainstream media do not uh, want to cover in, in, I think, the way it needs to be done. So I started doing that and really randomly somebody saw one of my blog posts and on Twitter put me in touch with uh, Peter Jukes and Byline. Uh, who I hadn't actually heard of, and said, oh, you should just write these blogs for them. And so I got in touch with Peter, and he was running a crowdfunded journalism website called byline.com at that time. So 
uh, yeah, that was that was interesting. I mean, it was, it was a difficult way to earn lots of money and this was established, but you know, it was a wider platform than I had. And yeah, so I met Peter and Stephen Colgrave, who both ran Byline.com. They'd also set up a web uh, a festival called Byline Festival in the summer. And yeah, I just got to know them. And I would say to them, oh, I just really miss my newsroom. You know, I, I don't mind being freelance. But I wish I, it's something, there's something about a newsroom and uh, working on a newspaper as opposed to just a, a news site. And uh, eventually there was, you know, there was some interest shown um, into the, in the Byline brand. We set up a fully funded, you know, properly edited uh, uh, site, the newspaper site, and Byline Times was born. So, yeah, so we launched that last March, um, and yeah, it was, it was. We were just we didn't really know how it would land, but we we thought we were onto something in terms of what the mission of it is. Mm. So so yeah, that's interesting that you came to journalism uh, through law. That's exactly how how I've arrived in in sort of I don't know. I I, I hesitate to call myself a journalist yet. But um, that's at least how I ended up in this path. Like I studied law at uni. So that, that's, that's cool that you came, came to it in the same way. Um, so w- with, byline, with Byline Times, like you kind of mentioned the mission there. What, what would you say, how would you define the, the mission? Like what, what's the purpose of it? Like, I mean, you could say that the news, the news market is, is already flooded. We've got a whole bunch of papers that are already struggling. Like why, why choose now to set up like a, an online news site? Yeah, so lo- lots of people... Uh, said that to us when we launched it they were like you know what what is um are you sure about launching this in the middle of uh the current climate which as as we know there's just there's so much information journalism out there in a way uh and but but i think so the mission is what the papers don't say so we understood that actually there there isn't a market for yet another news site and newspaper Mm -hmm. so that was that was never our aim so we don't really cover the news cycle if you want to know what's going on right now with brexit the coronavirus there are lots and lots of places that you can go to what we felt was missing was some of that sort of old school investigative journalism uh, we felt uh, where the mainstream media is not reporting on stories that are worthy of it, or they're sort of not reporting on angles, which which we think reveal a bigger structural point. So definitely investigation, bringing back that notion of investigation and accountability and having impact through that was, was something we thought was, was really necessary. And also we felt that, you know, to uh, some extent the misrepresentation uh, some of the misrepresentation you find within the mainstream media is a product of underrepresentation of genuinely diverse voices. So a part of the Byline Times mission is also to give a platform to different types of uh, to, to people, essentially. So not just diverse voices as in, you know, people of colour and people with different life experiences, but also, I think, you know, people out there who don't have journalism qualifications or wouldn't call themselves journalists, but are very interested in what's happening. They care about the state of our country and they're digging around. I guess you call them citizen journalists. So we felt that there's definitely a scope for all of that to be brought brought together. And also, you know, to have something truly and media that's independent. So, you know, our subscribers pay for our work. They subscribe to a monthly print edition newspaper that we do. We have the daily news site is free because we, we feel that's important. And I think just that notion of independence and our, we're not trying to tell our readers what to think. We want to show them what's happening. 
want to follow the stories and show them what's happening so that they can become, you know, informed citizens, which is what you need in a functioning democracy. And of course, that's what journalism is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be one of those pillars of, of democracy. And so, yeah, and then we found there's a real market out there for a, sort of a newspaper that's investigative, but really quite thought-provoking uh, with some, in terms of some of its ideas on some of the deeper structural issues that are going on in our society, and also something that really speaks to its readership. So Byline Times, my background, as I said, is in local news. And I think the, the print edition paper that we publish is, is sort of a cross between a magazine, private eye, and a local paper. You know, it's, it's meant to be something where we're, it is very much when not saying, the, you know, we're the great and good and we know everything. It's very much, we want to create a dialogue with our readership where they, they really feel, you know, we're speaking to them. And I think that's really important. And so when people said, why would you launch uh, a paper now? That, that they, they were really the answers. And also, I guess, the, and this does come back to local journalism, because, you know, we have seen local journalism in this country decimated. And I, that, is, that is really quite serious. So whereas you would have had reporters in planning meetings at councils, you would have had them in court cases uh, quite consistently, or that's not happening. And I think a lot of these, you know, issues of corruption or sort of um, failings, often I know from my local journalism experience, they start at that local level, right? And, they, and then they become, you know, they're often national issues eventually. But that's where kind of you need to start digging in. And with, with that sort of kind of obliterated, I think there is a market now for someone, you know, that investigation to be provided at those different levels. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. The, the, the local, like everything that happens on a national scale is, is, is ultimately happening to people on the street in each tiny village or town or city. And it, it is like every, every, even international issues are ultimately like, local when when you come when you when it gets down to like who's being affected by the decisions or or the events that are happening it's you know like things don't strike an entire country at once they, they happen to like individuals in in towns and, and villages and and cities around the country but you i, I was actually i didn't know you guys did a, a print a monthly print edition i'm gonna have to check that out um, yeah, that's why we describe it as a newspaper. So we very much think of Byline Times as, even though obviously there's a new site, which is free for everyone, we think of it as a newspaper. So an old school type investigative local paper, magazine newspaper. So yeah, and then that's what um, people subscribe to. So that's the product they pay for and the website is free. Why do you think investigative journalism has kind of disappeared? I mean, you, you, yourselves exist, but that's obviously a very new um, phenomenon. And mm. Private Eye is probably, uh, I would say, at this point, the best investigative journalism, uh, or well, the best investigative outlet that you're going to find in Britain, aside from maybe The Guardian, um, mm. just because they do, so they've had, had some seriously, seriously good um, investigative work mm. over the past five years. But aside yeah. from that, it seems to have like ultimately... Like it seems to be sliding and, and disappearing. Like the the biggest news shows, like uh, the BBC, have very few investigative reporters anymore. Um, I don't I don't know if Sky News has very many, and and we're kind of trending in that direction where, um, like those huge those huge like news uh, news outlets in America, like but they're just reporting on things that happen. They're not actually investigating anything. Like why do you think that's died in in the in the twenty first century? Yeah, I mean I think it's quite complex. I think 
There perhaps are a few reasons. Definitely news has changed and the medium through which we, we receive news has, has completely shifted, hasn't it, with the age of social media when the information age we're in really the age of the web so i think how people consume news and how it is conveyed um has has completely changed so it's it's 24 7 there is no getting away from it and there's an expectation that there always needs to be uh you know more and more information pumped out and provided and i think within that um i think within that considering a lot of the fund, you know, sort of the funding models for that sort of journalism comes from advertising. I think that does then uh, shift the priority in terms of what journalists are asked to produce. And so it's it's about getting a reaction and pieces that people want to click on and immediately sort of uh, look at and share. And that is very different from journalism which goes under the surface and which it is harder to digest and it's harder to produce and it takes longer and it takes money. So I think that that's definitely one issue. I think with this 24 seven news cycle as well, where journalists don't have time to do that sort of work because the priorities are skewed. I think well, we've lost all context really um, to a large extent. Of course, there are media, really good media outlets out there that are sort of looking at issues um, holistically and really setting out you know, their importance in a bigger structural issue. But generally, I think in the 24-hour news cycle, 24-7 news cycle, we've, we've kind of lost that concept of context. You know, how does this information fit within everything that else that is going on? What is the bigger picture, historically, geopolitically, internationally, etc.? I think that's a real problem. I do think um, that the demise of local journalism is a big issue because I think you get lots of good investigative uh, sort of uh, reporters doing that ground level work which then as you say builds up to create a national picture um i also think that you know it's it's not any new I, i'm not saying anything new here but there are certain you know there are issues with the media in this country and the mainstream media and the very prominent newspapers and to the extent that they are captured you know by media barons such as rupert murdoch who you know, have a lot of influence and therefore, you know, that independence isn't, isn't there and that sort of, you know, desire to investigate is, is compromised. I think that is a massive problem. And I think that, you know, we talk about the problems, you know, the democratic problems in this country that we're experiencing. And I think they go hand in hand with the media that, it, you know, to a large extent, all the big papers uh, are captured. They're not independent. And as I said, this shifting of priorities, you know, towards advertising and this shifting towards social media. Uh, I think all of it sort of adds up to we're getting more information than ever, but I don't think we're really, we're not advancing our knowledge. And they are different things, you know. So one of the things a friend of mine and I were actually talking about recently was um, the the consequences of the the fracturing of like our own media bubbles or just the the the, the vast diversification of of outlets that that sort of uh, have popped up on the internet over the past twenty years. And initially, we were we were both very positive about about this, and we thought you know it's great. Like information diversity is is always a great thing. Like if you're getting lots of different opinions and people who specialize in different things or or focus on different areas of competence, that you're going to end up with the the most informed citizens. And and we we feel like that's kind of like been turned on its head. 
Like, do you, do you think that that, that, that fracturing of the, of the media has kind of lent, led, uh, led us to be less informed than, than we used to be? Or, or do you see that as a, as a positive thing? I think, I mean, I think it's, there are, there's a good and a bad side. So I think the good side is that there is, you know, there, there are lots of different platforms popping up, like Byline Times, uh, that actually allow people who are maybe citizen journalists, people who not don't consider themselves journalists, or young people who want to get into the profession. I, it definitely gives them an in, in a way that the mainstream media is still pretty difficult to penetrate, I would say. And so that is definitely good. So there is the potential for, like you say, diversity of voices just because there are different types of outlets i mean whether i mean we need to look at what these different outlets are sort of saying i mean they can be used for you know real journalism but they can also be used for for propaganda and rhetoric and and you know quite quite dark messages mm. so i think if, you know that that's that's the sort of potential in in the way it's not so so great but but yeah i mean it's good to have diverse voices but again what are those voices saying are they just providing information are they just you know uh, where is the factual basis for uh sort of what what they want to inform people about and and again i would say that's something about in times where we're really looking you know we'll really emphasize it's about giving people information fact-based information about what's going on and some you know analysis but then they need to decide what they want to do with that um i think there is a lot of sort of just commentary and opinions uh that journalism has descended into in recent years and I, again that's another one of the shortcomings because it's about you know what does so-and-so think and then what does another person think and you know with the the famous thing you know is it raining or not raining go out and have a look and so you know and so it's great yeah lots of different platforms but you know if only, only if they're advancing that sort of rigor and they're encouraging people to think critically that that's a good thing and provide you know exposing things that need exposing uh but of course you know it can be used for different purposes as well yeah i mean the the fact that everything's online it just makes it so much harder to detect or, or figure out where where some where someone's funding is coming from even just or like who set up this website why are they saying this and you used to, I think, I feel like you maybe used to have more of an idea, but then I say that, and, but the UK, the mainstream press in the UK was never, I, w I would probably never say like truly independently owned in the last mm -hmm. 40 years. So you, perhaps we, we've never uh, truly experienced what a free, a free press would, uh, would be like. Um, but do you think that the, the print journalism is, is just done? Like is is your like monthly issue, is that like a, a legacy thing that you're trying to put together? Is it like a little gimmick or do you see it as, as being, as print journalism enduring as something that people will want like a physical thing in their hand or do you think it's just going to end up totally digital? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I think there is, so definitely Byline Times' print edition is not, is not a gimmick. Um, it is a recognition, like you say, that people actually, they really do want something. They can turn the pages and something that's curated and brilliantly designed. And we print monthly. So often our readers say that they'll carry the paper around with them for a whole month. And because it's the sort of the intensity of the content, they'll dip into it at different points and really take it in. So I think there is something more 
thought, you know, thought provoking and thoughtful about having something in your hand that you're really taking the time to, to absorb. I think it's different, isn't it? When we're looking at things on screens and that's the whole thing, we're just kind of flicking, flicking through. And so I think there is an appetite for it purely because we're in an age where everything is about screens. Everything's about sort of lots of information that we need to scroll through. So I think because of that, there is an appetite for uh, a print product. Um, I also think that what we're trying to do is in a way, you know, look at, it's, it's meant to be like an old school newspaper to a certain extent. So it's not really, really glossy to look at. It's, it's really crafted and you can see that it's sort of put together by, you know, a small but dedicated team who are really passionate about it. But I think that, um, I th I th yeah, I think there is, again, scope for an old style of journalism or almost like a, a mythic style of journalism, which was all about so, sort of, you know, journalists really going out there and changing the world and investigating and trying to join the dots and, and that sort of thing. And, and to that extent, the print edition for us uh, really feeds into that because, you know, newspapers were, you know, printed originally. So I think there, I think there is an appetite for print, but again, it's the content of what people want. You know, is it something that really speaks to the readership? And these days, you know, people are, they're not just buying a physical paper. I think they're buying into the whole message and mission uh, of, of a news outlet. And therefore perhaps that's the most important thing of all that, you know, if you've got a mission that they believe in, then they, they will come with you on that and join you to build it. Mm. Uh, whether that is the case with mainstream press and will remain so, I, I couldn't say really. But I think there is scope for, you know, other smaller outlets that are offering something different or offering that to people, you know, um, have, a, you know have a media that you're part of, that you're building, you're helping to build is, is quite a powerful message, I think. And, I, and I, yeah, I, I wouldn't underestimate people's uh, desire for that you know they want to I think that's the important thing with journalism as well you know there's so again so much information but what do readers what can they actually do to feel like they are making a change you know and I think yeah contributing to, to funding in genuinely independent journalism is one step uh, whether that can be replicated by sort of the mainstream is it's beyond beyond my pay grade <laughs> yeah I mean I feel like we might I feel like we might be watching the death throes of the mainstream uh, press, um, but in both on both sides of the Atlantic, actually, I just I feel like the the gap between reality and what they're reporting is just growing at like at this insane rate, and and eventually, like that's that that gap has got to get to a point where it's just not even worth listening to them, and I, I feel like well we're. I feel like we're probably getting close um, and, and like that's not to disparage. Um, there's some fantastic journalists doing um, brilliant work at uh, basically all of the papers or, or news outlets. Like it's, um, I, I'm always keen to, to, to make sure I, I, I mean like the general outlet, not, yeah. the, not the good, like there's, there's genuinely good journalists working at, at all of these places. But um, what would you say to people who who are like saying, well, why should a newspaper have like a mission as such? Surely like the mission should be, here's what happened. Hmm. Yeah. And so if the mission is, here's what's happening and then decide what you think about that and what you want to do, do about it. I think that, that that is the point, isn't it? I think, 
I mean, I can only really speak for what we're doing at Byline Times. And the mission is we're going to tell you what's not being reported elsewhere. Uh, we want to give you that information and expose the stuff that's going on. And then we don't necessarily want to tell you what you should think about it. But we want to help you join the docs, give you lots of context. So then you can use that information and decide what you want to do with it. Tell other people about the state of what's going on or, you know, you know, become an activist or do, do something politically with it. But yeah, I mean, I think that's in a way that that's all we're really trying to say. I mean, we're, we're independent. So we're not, we're, we're not tied to any one, you know, political party at all. Uh, we do have a lot of our schools scrutinizing the government, but you'd expect that because they're in power and a lot has happened on, on its watch. So there's been a lot of scrutiny of the coronavirus of the, you know, the PPE procurement scandal, all of these things that we've sort of led on. And so you'd expect that. But at the same time, you know, we have written articles as well, critiquing the Labour Party and the direction that, that they're going in. We're not tied to any political party. We don't, we're not lobby journalists. So we're not at these sort of Westminster lobby briefings. We don't have close ties. We're not friends with MPs. We don't go to dinner parties with them. You know, we interact with them. We contact their offices and ask for comments and things like that. But we're genuinely not sort of advancing a mission that anyone else has put to us, but sort of what is happening. And, and you almost, yeah, we almost need to sit back from all of that. So where we're on the outside looking in and and then that's the mission really, because we're, we're kind of in the same position as lots of people in this country who feel that the mainstream media is not providing them with what they with what we need and is providing a lot of unhelpful stuff that is that is causing lots of different sort of structural issues feeding into lots of structural issues so um yeah but i get yeah but media outlets will have their own mission won't they it's up to the readership whether they want to invest in that or not in the way we do that violent times is say we all paying for our work so if we stop doing what they what we said we would on you know what it says on the tin they can stop subscribing i guess it's different isn't it with obviously news outlets that are paid for by for advertising or other people uh with their own interests then their the mission is the mission that those other parties kind of have a say in so it's different I mean, I've got to give a, a shout out to uh, Sam McBride and the Belfast new- Newsletter. They are just providing some of the best journalism that I ha- I, I, I've read this year on on the the pandemic. On it's it's a it's a Northern Irish based paper, but like there, it's 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 a little bit shocking almost sometimes when I read like pieces from them about, for example, like there was a big scandal a few weeks ago with um, our executive in Northern Ireland not choosing what they wanted to do about the next, like, so the lockdown was coming, like the lockdown that they put in place was coming to an end. And then they were just waiting and waiting and waiting to the last possible moment to decide what, what they were going to do about it. And there was like, then there was this panic where they didn't know um, if, if the law meant that it was going to expire on like the Thursday at midnight or the Friday. Mm-hmm. And they had to get like legal people in to discuss like how they worded the law. It was really hilariously incompetent, but quite disturbing at the same time. But uh, like, I just read it, like his explanation of what happened that evening, like uh, what the different parties were doing, who had said what, and it was just like beautifully laid out and just really like not simply done, but just like really succinct, um, concise, like explanation of what had happened. And, and I read it and I was like, wow, this is just a fantastic piece of work. Like 
this is what journalism should be. Um, and I, I had the same reaction, actually. Yeah, yeah I had the same reaction reading um, your piece uh, on uh, Byline Times about the Uyghur genocide. And I cannot remember who, who, who wrote it. But that was the, the piece that really turned me on to just how absolutely awful and, and shocking it, it, it really is. Um, so, like, kudos to you guys for... Um, yeah, pursuing uh, any topic, regardless of who you're going to offend, because, um, you know, heaven forbid we, we offend China. Um, but do you think, like, social media is, is, is kind of ruining journalism in a way? Um, like, do you think it's, it's, it's making it harder to do good work? Or do you think it's, like, helped in a way? Because I know a lot of journalists are on Twitter and put up a lot of, like, helpful threads and, and do some great work on there. But, like, do you, do you, do you see it as a, an overall positive or, or negative? Wow. I think I do see it overall as a positive. I mean, obviously we all know that there are the shortcomings of things like Twitter and, you know, we can all get caught in these, to, to one ex, you know, to some extent, a bubble. Uh, to some extent, it can be quite a nasty place as well. Um, and it can be a place where it's, you know, everything has to be black and white. There's very little room for nuance or complexity. But within that, it is a great platform for, like you say, some, you can get some really good information. And also, yeah, just that notion that you can reach out to people. And it's a very direct channel in that sense of wanting to show people what's really going on. So for Byline Times, where social media has really been essential for us in terms of we, we, ha we don't have a marketing budget. So we use social media to publicize our work and, you know, ask people to subscribe and that sort of thing. And yeah, we're not sort of that stuffy on social media. We, we interact with people, we retweet people who retweet us. And it's, it's a great, yeah, if you genuinely just want to reach people and start a dialogue, then yeah, we, you should be using it. I think there is a darker side where people you know, like I said, the, the abuse that people, especially journalists, can face. And I think that does, it's very worrying if that gets to a stage where it's silencing people. Mm. But I think on the whole, um, at its best, it's a, it's a fantastic channel. And I think it has really, I think it has changed journalism and not necessarily for the bad, you know. I, I think it has though fed into this speediness, uh, which, all journalists feel the need to take on board. You know, we all, I mean, all journalists want the story. They all want to be first. But I think social media does hypo-charge hypo that. But I think it's a great medium. And especially for young people, again, young people today wanting to get into the industry in, in a way, uh, if they don't really have a direct route into it, social media, you know, you can start a blog and start publicizing on social media and you can just reach people directly. You know, you don't have to go through um, a mainstream media outlet and, sort of go through seven levels of sub-editors and editors. Um, so yeah, I think it has great potential. Do you think you should be, a, do you think they should have the right to censor people? Like it's a, it's a, it's a huge thing. And I, I kind of changed my opinion on this over the last six months uh, where I initially thought that, you know, you, you probably can't tell a private company what to do. But I feel like it's become such a huge source of, of discussion, information that it's becoming and they, they've become a lot more stringent in the last six months with what they will allow people to say, especially like, like and not just crazy, crazy idiots. Like the, there's, there's people with like accounts getting suspended who are just like 
talking about Julian Assange, or um, for example, uh, I know that a few days ago you were barred from posting the link to the court documents from one of the court cases that had been filed by Sidney Pyle um, in, ooh, I think it was Michigan, about, about some of the, the, the election stuff. And you were banned from posting the link to the court document. And at that point, like the last, when I read that, I was like, mm, maybe these people are, are going too far. Like maybe we need to start looking at this place more like a town square and less like a, a private company because it's become so huge. Like, like where do you stand on, on that? Oh, I don't know really. I haven't, I have to, I don't know the ins and outs, to be honest. It's not, I mean, look, I think definitely there is a massive problem with disinformation on social media platforms. Absolutely. Um, and I think that is a really big threat to democracies um, and, you know, people's health and well-being. And therefore, I think that always needs to be, I think that does need to be clamped down on and we need to be quite serious about it. Mm. Um, but do you not think that's a serious infringement of, of, of freedom of expression when, like this, when a company like that has become so huge? I think that freedom of expression is, you know, if one should have the right to express what one thinks, but not if it infringes other people's rights. Well, okay, yeah, but know, like so my, my, yeah, my, stuff my point is actually incorrect. Yeah, but like that's, like, that's, that's where it gets really difficult for me because just because I'm saying something, it might infringe on, on, on something that, that you want, but it's, that's, that's such a difficult line to draw. I feel like we shouldn't try and draw it. Like, do you, do you see what I mean? I do, but it's probably not something I can get any further into, really. I'm not. Fair enough. Um, that's, <laughs> that's right. Well, um, I know you're a, you're a busy woman and you have got to get going. So I guess we can leave it there. This was, uh, yeah, a pleasure. Great. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. No problem. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget, my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order. You'll find the links in the description below. Until next time, thanks for listening.